Tyler Barnes here, and I want to welcome you to the Thrive Community Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this podcast helps form you to look more like Jesus. If this podcast touches your heart, it would mean the world to me if you would review it and subscribe for future episodes. You can also support our ministry financially at thriveokc.church. Now, let's go to this week's teaching. Ever heard of like a flat earther? Do you guys know what that is? Someone who believes just is flat, right? Fairly self-explanatory, right? Yeah. Well, I know this guy. I actually work with them still currently. It's super interesting to have conversations with them, right? They, it's it's honestly crazy and like uh, ludicrous and just insane um, with how much proof and evidence we have that the earth is round, right? Um, But how might they live their lives believing that the earth is flat? They would live in a constant fear of falling off the edge, right? So um, they might not fly or they might not sail or they might not travel and see the world. Um, it causes them to stay right where they are, seeing only the immediate world around them. So you see, what we believe, it shapes how we interpret the world. And then how we interpret the world um, around us causes us to act a certain way. So what we place our hope in and our faith in um, truly does matter. So if you guys will turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, um, we'll be in, starting in verse 12. Tyler, I feel like I'm a little hot on the mic. Hey, you are, you're okay. All right. <laughs> Don't mind that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Start there. I'll give you guys a second. We should get that up on the screen as well. All right. And it starts out with, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he is raised up in Christ, whom in fact he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we have all men are most to be pitied. But now Christ is risen from the dead. He has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made alive. So first off, what's happening here in that first verse 12, Paul is addressing a problem, and it's the view of the Corinthians, right? And so what he says, well, first off, the Bible doesn't really state how many Corinthians believe this, right? But it was obviously enough for Paul to address it. Um, and so while the Corinthians did believe in Jesus' death, they were very skeptical that he actually physically rose from the grave or not, right? And so Paul, taught, Paul starts out by saying, um, if we preach that Christ has raised from the dead, how can you say there is no resurrection? If there is no resurrection, then not even Christ has risen, Right? So to say that we do not believe in the resurrection of Christ is to say that Christ is dead. And so if there is no resurrection, then there is no hope. And if there is no resurrection, then everything we thought we knew about God is a lie. 
there is no resurrection, then all we have is this life. There's no afterlife. And the so-called gospel is not really even good news at all. You see, many of the Corinthians had a Mediterranean ancient worldview. They believed that at the point of death, their body um, would just go to heaven. They believed that their body would die, stay there, and that the spirit would rise and go to heaven, right? So they saw no need for their bodies because they had ascended spiritually. This is the main reason that the Corinthians believed that it was okay to eat my idle meat and just like have sex with whoever they want and do things to their body because they believed that uh, their body was something that just stayed here on earth and that didn't truly matter in the long-term perspective or the eternal life, right? Um, and so how Paul reacts to this is he has a refined skepticism and astonishment and honestly outrage because he sees it as denying, in principle, the claim made at the heart of the gospel. Um, and to say that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Um, the story of Jesus' resurrection is not just an illustri illustrative fable. Paul insists that the story um, is a real event, a bodily, physical resurrection. So Christ is not just a symbol for abstract theological truths. Those who deny that God really has the power to raise the dead have placed themselves in contradiction with the gospel story. And it is illogical, them, illogical for them to then continue speaking in the name of Christ. And so furthermore, if Christ has not been raised, then a series of catastrophic events follow and the foundation of our faith has been removed. While we may believe um, in the resurrection, Church, do we really live like it? How often do we find ourselves living for today like there is no afterlife? We want life to be easy, enjoyable, good, expect to not have any struggles, and for no one to get sick. The reality is that we live in a broken world. We spend so much time trying to get comfortable in this life that we forget about eternity. So the first consequence that Paul brings up is that if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, then our proclamation and our faith, our preaching, is in vain. Like, there's no point to it. It is striking the vanity and the futility of Christian talk if it is not rooted in the resurrection. The Christian faith becomes nothing more than a delusion, a story offering nothing but lies and empty gestures. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then the gospel has no power to save us. This not only means that we are living a lie, but we're also leading others, those around us, into a lie as well. We're leading them down a wrong path. So being a false witness is a result of our preaching and our proclamation, if indeed Christ was not raised from the dead. We preach and teach something that is not true and that never happened. So just as um, the Corinthians didn't believe in the resurrection, um, not witnessing to others is equally just as wrong. Um, a little statistical fact, which actually Tyler helped me out with here, um, is our witnessing is in vain um, because statistically only 61% of Christians in the U.S. have not shared their faith in the past six months. And honestly, that's pretty crazy. 
because for us to profess that we love Jesus and that we are desperate for him and that our whole heart is truly in love with him, to say that we can't share that with at least one person in six months, that's crazy. And it's honestly heartbreaking because we should be so deeply in love with Jesus that that's just what overflows from us. It's what's in our heart. So the second consequence um, that Paul brings up is that our faith would be um, futile. So again, it's kind of the same thing. Our faith would be in vain or it'd be futile. Um, It would be incapable of producing any result. Therefore, it is pointless. We are placing our hope and trust in something that isn't real. And so the result of that second consequence is that if Christ did not die on the cross, we are still in our sins. And church, that's big. We know that sin creates separation from Jesus. We see this all the way back in the garden when Adam and Eve, they took the fruit right from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when they bit into it, um, that was the first sin. And there are consequences to that sin. When they bit into it, they, they, they hid. They were ashamed of what they had done. And they were made aware of good and evil. Then sin, it entered the world. It caused separation, consequences, and even death. But, thankfully, Isaiah 51, 1 through 2, Cody, if you have that, you can throw that up on the screen, um, says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Man, sin creates separation. And so church, what I want you to see here is when Jesus died on the cross, when he went through all of that excruciating pain and torment, what happened in that moment was Jesus placed all of our sins, or God placed all of our sins on Jesus, the Son. And in that moment, because sin creates separation, God the Father had to turn his gaze away from God the Son, Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he, being God, made him, being Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus lived a perfect life. He made him to be sin, that we might become righteousness of God in him. Wow. Church, Jesus coming down to pay the price for our sins. Um, Without Jesus coming down to pay the price for our sins, there is no hope. I want you guys to imagine a life with me um, of constant separation between us and God. What would that look like? Would it be a life chasing the next best thing? Would it be a life full of drugs and addiction? Maybe it's just a bland life where you always seem to be forcing a smile on your face, going from the next thing to the next thing to the next. Interestingly, if Christ is not risen, then the Jews and Gentiles are still under the same law. And so what I mean by that is the Corinthians or Gentiles are therefore alienated from Israel's God. They're left with no hope standing under the threat of God's final verdict. Only the resurrection of Jesus offers a real possibility of their transformation into a new life with God in which their sins are forgiven and overcome.
So without Jesus being the ultimate mediator between us and God, we would live in a constant life of dissatisfaction. And whether we realize it or not, oftentimes we live like the Corinthians and we live like there is no resurrection. You know, even though that we believe Jesus physically rose from the grave, we don't live like it. If we look at my life, for example, uh, I started driving semis, 18-wheelers, right, about eight months ago. Super fun. I actually really enjoy it. But... <laughs> But it is very time consuming, especially during the summer months, we haul asphalt. And so I was averaging about 12 to 14 hours a day, right? And so that was wearing me out and beating me down. And it's exhausting. It left me so exhausted that I felt like I didn't have time to spend with Jesus. I didn't feel like going to a community group. I didn't feel like spending more time preparing for a set list and being able to lead this team in the way that I should. I was burnt out. And what I was really doing was living a life apart from Jesus. I was living in the here and now, so consumed with this world. I was living like there was no resurrection, no eternity. The third consequence that Paul brings up is the fate of those who are already dead. So what happens to those who believed in Jesus who have already died if he did not rise from the grave? The plight of those believers who have already died, literally the translation means fallen asleep, um, is that they are utterly lost. They have simply been destroyed and nothing more than a memory of them remains. They have no hope. We would have no hope. And how hopeless would we feel when someone died if this were true? there's nothing after, if there's no hope of the resurrection. Thankfully, Paul addresses this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 through 18, and it says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. It's fallen asleep, that translation from the other passage means dead. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that those who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive um, and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Church, that's a very encouraging scripture that we have an eternity, that we have hope, that those who have already fallen asleep are not lost, that we will see them again one day. Going on to verse 19 in chapter 15, Paul says, if in this life only, we have hoped in Christ. We are of all men most pitiable. Why is Paul saying that Christians should be most pitied if there is no resurrection? Well, if Christ is not raised, then it simply puts us back on the same condition as everyone else in the world. 
If Christ is not risen, then we mock ourselves with falsehood. We preach an illusion and we offer the world a pious lie that veils from ourselves the terrifying truth. We are powerless and we're alone. We Christians are also called to serve, we're called to sacrifice and to love one another, just as Christ has loved us, right? And so with no resurrection, what we'd be doing is simply just denying ourselves the pleasures of this life. We'd be going through needless hardship. We would be fools missing out on our fair share of life's reward. And so here in verse 20, Paul is flipping it around. He's going from the consequences of not having a resurrection to the consequences of the resurrection. Um, And so I had to ask myself this question, and you may be asking yourself it as well, and it's why is there so so much emphasis on specifically the resurrection? Christ still died for our sins, right? He still paid the price. It's like, why was there a need for him, him to rise from the grave physically? Bodily resurrection, right? Let me first draw your attention to those. Um, that verse 20, it says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Here Paul moves from illusion to reality by stating Christ is risen. He resumes a triumphant story told early in this chapter. And here is what the Corinthians had missed and failed to understand is that his resurrection is not merely a wondrous event but also the start of a much greater harvest they did not see that there was a direct connection between christ's resurrection and their own future fate so what i mean by that is jesus is the first fruit it states that in verse 20. so what is the first fruit he is the first fruit of the dead He physically rose and conquered the grave, making it possible for us to spend eternity with him. His bodily resurrection is the proof he is the atoning sacrifice. He had to rise from the grave so that the dead or the fallen asleep would in turn rise. Jesus Christ defeated sin and the consequences of it, which were death. So by dying on the cross, he defeated death and Satan. Since he defeated death, yeah, never mind. (laughs) We're at the wrong spot. When he paid the price for our sins, he in turn had to rise. If you look at Romans 6.23, it's a fairly popular verse that a lot of people know. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so when Adam took that apple and he ate it, the consequences came, and the consequences were death, right? And so Jesus had to come to be the new, true, and better Adam by living a perfect, blameless life. And by living that perfect, blameless life and then dying on the cross, what he was doing is he defeated sin. And since he defeated sin, the wages of sin aren't death anymore because sin is defeated. Therefore, he had to rise. And in return, he was the first fruit of the risen, meaning that the rest in Christ, the already dead and those who will die, before Christ returns, will also in turn rise with a bodily resurrection. So in verses 21 and 22, Paul is using a typology um, where a rebellious man chose to do life his way, which is Adam, 
um, and Jesus never sinned and chose to do life God's way. So Christ's rising is not a solo event, but it connects directly to the consequences of Adam's sin. Verses 21 and 22 say this, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. So church, the impact of Jesus' resurrection, death and resurrection, was equally as impactful as Adam's sin. Church, this life is just but a taste of what heaven will be like. We cannot live for this life only. Just going from day to day, focused on money and our work and our job and finances and friends and having a good time, even though most of those things are great, we have to be reminded of an eternal perspective. We cannot profess to be Christians and live like there is no resurrection. Our hope is in eternity. Jesus told us this life would be hard, that his followers would be persecuted and rejected, that we would have nowhere to lay our heads, that we'd be outcast by our families, and some would even give our lives to follow him. Our hope is in heaven where the presence of sin is no more. If that is really where our hope is, then we would do everything in our power to share our faith with those around us, to give our lives to the mission of Jesus. We will find deep meaning and satisfaction of this life because we have food that you cannot see and a treasure that is stored up where it cannot be stolen rusted or destroyed. So this morning, church, I want to end with a question for you. And this question is for you to talk to God in prayer about during our time of response. Uh, band, if you want to come back up, you can. Um, how have I lived or acted like the resurrection did not really happen. It could be all you have focused on in this life. It could be if you have never shared your faith. It could be if you have never placed your faith in Jesus at all.